Welcome to the Lectionary Call-In Podcast, sponsored by Palmasia Presbyterian Church of Tampa, Florida. We are recording this on Tuesday morning, January the 2nd, 2024, as a discussion of the Lectionary Gospel reading for this coming Sunday, January 7th. We have recently journeyed through Advent and the Christmas celebration of the birth of Jesus Christ. In the lectionary calendar we are following, the Epiphany of the Lord is acknowledged this year on Saturday, January 6th, followed by the Baptism of Jesus, which is our focus on today's podcast. So, Happy New Year to my fellow team members this morning and to each of you. Today is new in other ways. Last week, we shared that our longtime leader and colleague, Don Upton, was completing his service on this podcast. Don served for a number of years as a friend, a manager of the technical aspects of this ministry, and he shared his heartfelt insights into scripture and faith. We will miss you, Don, and we wish you well in your continued service to God and to God's people. Going forward, we will be joined each week by another guest person, and we look forward to all of us continuing to learn and grow together. Here are the persons participating this morning. Obviously, we're going to get a little less stiff about that and be more comfortable. (laughs) I'm Sarah. I'm from Tampa. And I'm John Ryder. I'm one of the pastors on staff at Palmasia Presbyterian Church in Tampa. Um, and uh, and I um, am, my title is Director of Adult Faith Formation. And I've been on the podcast a few times and I will be on more regularly. Um, but it is a joy to be uh, with you all this morning. We'll also have um, uh, a regular uh, member of the pastoral team uh, from the church on these calls uh, and on this podcast. And so um, we're, we're, we are again um, incredibly grateful for all that Don has done and, 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 and particularly in his leadership of this podcast over the years. Uh, so this is a new chapter and some, um, uh, some new growth for us. And so are grateful for uh, patience and in, in, um, as we navigate things um, in a new way, uh, but we're delighted to continue in this, in this ministry together. Thank you, John. Welcome. Appreciate your help and your presence. I'm Bill Hall in St. Petersburg, Florida. And as I noted, our scripture focus is the gospel lesson uh, for the baptism of Jesus. And I will read from the gospel of Mark. We're in year B of the lectionary, focusing primarily on Mark. Today, Mark chapter 1, verses 4 through 11 and I read for us from the New Revised Standard Version. This is the word of the Lord. Let us listen. John the baptizer appeared in the wilderness, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And people from the whole Judean countryside and all the people of Jerusalem were going out to him and were baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now John was clothed with camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. 
he proclaimed, The one who is more powerful than I is coming after me. I am not worthy to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And just as he was coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens torn apart and the Spirit descending like a dove on him. And a voice came from heaven saying, You are my Son, the Beloved. With you I am well pleased. The word of the Lord, thanks be to God. Now, as our regular viewers and listeners know, we prepared for this. I sent three questions in advance to my colleagues for our mutual reflection. Uh, the three questions aren't meant to say this is what's most important, but it is an attempt to focus on certain details in this passage trusting that the whole message of the passage will somehow be dealt with and reflected. So here's my first question, and Sarah, I'm coming to you first in a moment. In the narrative we just heard, there are three identified participants as recorded in Mark, John, uh, in, in Mark, uh, Jesus and John and the voice from heaven. Um, John and the heavenly voice speak, but Jesus is silent until later beyond this passage when in verse 17, Jesus invites Simon and Andrew to follow. Now I will note that this year was the first time I noticed that Jesus is silent throughout this narrative in all three gospels. Sarah, is there any meaning for you in Jesus's silence? I was thinking about how Mark presents us with the gospel. Um, and, and likely the other two um, gospel accounts as well. I'm wondering that Jesus is not the person who needs to present his identity. That it needs to be presented by or validated or what's the right word um, triangulated for lack of better language kind of a modern term um, so that his identity is affirmed and confirmed by parties other than himself um, I'm thinking about witnesses and how witnesses are presented in court how people um, identify themselves and how their their identity is confirmed, and so for me it was a an interesting observation that Jesus doesn't present his identity himself. His identity is is presented by John the Baptist. It's announced and confirmed by the heavenly voice, and so um, the naming and claiming of him by God in the heavenly voice is the confirmation of his identity, and John just is reaffirming that with his declaration of there goes the Messiah, there's, there's the Messiah. And it becomes an observable truth that everybody sees as Jesus moves through his mission on earth and his ministry that's about to present itself to the world. 
That's just my thinking. Thank you, Sarah. Uh, John Ryder, any significance for you in the silence of Jesus? Yeah, um, you sent us some great questions, Bill, that that um, invited me to think about uh, and to see some things this passage that I hadn't noticed before. And and this is one of them, that uh, Jesus is silence. And um, I'm, I'm reminded of Ecclesiastes, you know, that there's a time for this and a time for that. There's a time to talk and a time to be quiet and listen uh, or to be silent. And so um, for me, um, it elevates... Um, it's something to take note of, and it elevates the importance of uh, of silence, the importance of um, um, of, of receiving. And, and in this this in the baptism, I mean, there's a time for, like I said, there's a time for talking, time for silence. There's a time for receiving God's blessings, and that's part of what Jesus is doing here: is receiving um, uh, the blessing uh, that that comes from baptism. You know, um, Jesus could have. Um, shown up and and talked and given a sermon on repentance and on forgiveness. He could have given John a master class on how to do baptism there in the river. Um, but instead, he is uh, one who receives and in that moment. And so um, I think for me, it's just a reminder, there's always time to learn. There's always a time to listen and to be um, receiving what the Holy Spirit might be giving or guiding us to do. I was particularly drawn to this question because as a kid, I was pretty, I was a quiet kid. And I noticed that, um, you know, I didn't talk, particularly in school, I should say, and I didn't talk a lot. And so when I did speak out loud in class, um, people tended to um, pay a little more attention because, oh, that, that guy who never talks is now saying something. His words now have a little bit more meaning. So I think as, as I've kind of reflected, as we get older, as I've gotten older, I tend to talk more and more, um, and and I think sometimes it's there's nothing wrong with that. But I think sometimes we get in this position where we want to share our wisdom, we want to uh, share our opinion on a topic or whatever. But I think there's something really beautiful and powerful in sometimes um, just because we have something to say doesn't mean we need to say it. And so there's a little lesson in there for me too about there's something really powerful about um, not speaking of receiving, absorbing, and, and speaking when the time is right. And so, um, yeah, so this was a great question. I really like this question about um, the, the value and the role of silence, the time for silence in this, in this passage. Thank you, John. In contrast, I was the little kid <laughs> that the teacher <laughs> was always silencing. <laughs> and as I've grown older, I've valued more and more silence uh, in the um, psychology world. Uh, there's uh, one Myers-Briggs that talks about extrovert, introvert, and I'm very extroverted on that scale. But I've learned that even strong extroverts need down, quiet, alone downtime. And, and especially in nature, I experience um, the value of silence. Now, a commitment I have made, <clears throat> and I found a great resource. The Upper Room, I don't know when they started offering this, but I've got this year's edition. Every day, they deal with one of the uh, lectionary passages 
for the coming Sunday. Uh, the Old Testament, the prophet, the Psalms, the epistle. And I've committed to reading that so that we, at least I'm aware of the others. And Joy J. Moore, who is our friend, uh, she's on the Working Preacher podcast, the Dean of Students at Lutheran Seminary. She wrote this about the Genesis 1 passage, which is in the lectionary for this week. Today, we read a significant proof of promise. God's promises are words offered by the very one who spoke and stuff happened. Into the chaos, God spoke created beauty. Into the darkness, God spoke light. Into nothingness, God spoke somethingness. The promises made by the creator who brings this kind of life are worth holding on to. So this is the other side of it. God speaks. And our silence is an opportunity to listen to God. And and so I, I found that very helpful. Um, now, later in our journey this year through the Gospel of Mark in chapter 9, at the end of the season after Epiphany, we will again read of God saying during the transfiguration of Jesus on the mountain, this is my son, my beloved, listen to him. When we get there, we may want to discuss why is that said a second time, but it adds, listen to him. <laughs> and I take to heart uh, that importance. <clears throat> and I'll briefly refer to a song that was popular in my growing up, Simon and Garfunkel, The Sound of Silence. What is the sound of silence? In 1 Kings 19, uh, Elijah, who is full of himself and wants to die because he thinks he's a failure, uh, God finally speaks <clears throat> in the translation, <clears throat> excuse me, of the New Revised Standard Version. God speaks in the sound of sheer silence. A silence, it seems to me, enables us to listen. Um, and for me, Jesus' silence at this point in his life and ministry is a quiet yet powerful affirmation of his full humanity. humanity. Even Jesus needed to listen, to absorb, and reflect on who he was and what his purpose was. Thank you. Uh, question two, and John, I will come to you first in a moment. Matthew 3.11, Mark 1.11, and Luke 3.22 record the voice from heaven saying, You are my son, the beloved. With you I am well pleased. To whom do you imagine this message was directed? And why might it have been announced at this point in the journey of Jesus? John? This was the other uh, question that caused me to kind of reflect on this in, in, or this scene uh, in a new way. I, I think I had always imagined this, and I think maybe it's pulling from other places where this is said, or, or maybe in the Matthew version, it's, it says, this is my son, the beloved, with him I am well pleased. Uh, so a little different there. And I think I've either latched on to the Matthew impression or just had a wrong view of it in my whole life. But I always imagined this scene of the baptism in this moment as this voice speaking to the crowd that's assembled there, saying, 
Um, you know, this is my son, the beloved, with whom I am well pleased. But then closer reading of it, particularly in the Mark one, it, the pronouns that are used and who things are, you know, it's a, you are my son, the beloved. With you, I am well pleased. So I imagine this is, through the Spirit, this is God speaking directly to Jesus. And so then I thought, okay, well, this is God speaking to Jesus, but um, it's in my interpretation, um, it's being said in a loud enough voice so that all those who are present can hear what, what is being said. You know, the voice that's coming from the heavens. This is my son, the beloved, with whom I will please. Like, take note. This is who this person is. This is the announcement. But then I started reflecting a little bit more and looking closer. There is nothing to suggest that that was a public moment. That could have been a private thing that no one else saw. It says Jesus comes up from the water, looks up to the heavens, they're parted, or they're, you know, the heavens are ripped open, the spirit descends like a dove, and this is what he hears. So, I mean, if you really want to look at it, there's nothing that suggests that all those present were party to any of that. It could have looked like just a normal baptism to them in the river. Um, so that got me thinking a bit more, but I think I do want to, I, I think where I end up is I like to think of it more in the public arena, but, there, but there's nothing that says that's the way it is, but I think of it more in the public arena, that this is God speaking to Jesus and it's, and it is, um, for me, it is both a word of announcement, uh, of like, here's some authority. This is who this person is. You've heard John say, kind of what Sarah was saying in her response to the first question, this is an announcement of who this is. There's authority being given to who this person is, but I also hear in it, knowing what's coming, a word of assurance and, and from God to Jesus, because we hear the word immediately, right? This We're going into the wilderness as soon as this baptism's done. And so I hear in there a word of assurance and comfort from God to Jesus to say, you know, you are my beloved. I'm pleased with you. Um, hang in there because things are about to get a little rough out in the wilderness. So... Um, yeah, so yeah, I appreciate the question. Thank you, John. And springboarding on that, uh, if you read enough scholars, you'll find some that almost insist it was only for Jesus <laughs> and others saying it's for everybody. However we interpret that, we know about it. Somehow the Holy Spirit inspiring those who wrote the Gospels uh, this is in all four Gospels. Now, in John, it has the Gospel of John. It has John the Baptist reporting that he saw that happen. But um, all four Gospel writers thought this was important. And whether or not only Jesus heard it at the moment, it is for everyone. And it... Um, Following this event in the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the very next thing that happens is we're told the Spirit cast Jesus out into the wilderness. Interesting wording. It doesn't say Jesus happened to go to the wilderness. <laughs> uh, the Spirit which speaks to him drives him into the wilderness, and we'll go over that late another time. And I can't help but think there's a link there uh, that often metaphorically a mountaintop experience such as this baptism and this powerful affirmation from the Lord is followed by a dark valley. 
<laughs> um, and I can resonate with that. Again, uh, affirming the humanity of, of Jesus Christ. Um, and for Jesus, in one sense, his journey was from one wilderness to another. But what sustained him was understanding who he was and what his purpose was. Sarah, your thoughts on this question? Thank you, Bill. Um, I, I fall into the camp of how John walked this path about who this message is to and from. Uh, it seems a very personal confirmation um, and an affirmation to Jesus by God. Um, and I, I'm going to throw a thought out there that how, how do we have this in all four Gospels if somebody didn't overhear it? Um, so if it was only something that was heard by Jesus, I don't know that we have a biblical record that re that would reinforce that thought um, since we have it in all four Gospels. Um, and I think that that would be something, I think, miraculous that somebody would make note of. Um, so I'm going to fall into the camp of it was publicly heard by somebody. might have been just John. Um, but the public acknowledgement of who Jesus is, what he's doing, and how that fits into God's purposes, all comes through in that statement. Um, you know, there's something quite lovely about being affirmed in front of other people by those people that we love. And that's something, a, a generous gift. You know, often, um, you know, it's kind of an interesting place to overhear somebody bragging about you or an interesting place where somebody speaks to your strengths in, in a public way. Um, and, and certainly it's hum it brings humility to my table, but it also makes me feel like perhaps what I'm doing is valued. And so I, I kind of wanted to, to see that. I, I love that it comes at the beginning of the ministry. I love that it comes before the temptation, before we head to the wilderness, as almost if, as if this is fuel for the endurance, for the, for the trip and the, and the travel that we're about to take emotionally, um, mentally, and physically into the wilderness to enter into the tension with the tempter. So I, I love that this becomes foundational to the ministry Jesus is about to endeavor. And I think that this is going to be something that moves him closer to the cross. Uh, thank you, Sarah. Uh, and we invite our viewers and listeners to uh, have your own thoughts about this. Now, the third question. It is clear that Jesus initiated his being baptized. That is crystal clear in the synoptic accounts. In, in fact, in Matthew's account, John the Baptist resisted baptizing Jesus, but Jesus persisted in seeking baptism in the same way as the other people who came to John. What might be the meaning for you of Jesus' baptism? And if you think uh, the debate over who heard 
the voice from heaven is strong among the commentators, dive into debates and arguments about why did Jesus, who was sinless, want a baptism of repentance? So for whatever reason, and I've said this before, I think a part of the power of Scripture is often things are not explained. We are not told why this was important to Jesus, which leaves us <laughs> to wrestle with that. Um, it seems to me that Jesus being insisting on being baptized is a signal to us that a physical act by a human being has, through God's grace and presence, <clears throat> a profound uh, impact on the one being baptized. Now, that doesn't mean that as a minister, when I have baptized someone, that I'm the conveyor of the grace. No, I am simply reminding uh, the one baptized, the family and others of the presence of God. There is no magic in baptism, but it is a physical act. And it involves water, the stuff of life, and it involves cleansing. Um, so it was important to the early faith community to remember this event. And that is highlighted by the fact that it's in all four Gospels. Now, another debate that goes on is if, in my case, I was baptized two or three months old at First Presbyterian Church, Orlando. I don't remember that. It wasn't my choice. My parents made that decision for me. They reminded me as I grew up that I needed to make my own decision about faith. Um, and in serving a church in Bradenton, Kirkwood Presbyterian Church, we had a very dynamic uh, single adult ministry, and along with the social aspect, some people who had journeyed through the, you know, teenage rebellion and uh, giving up on faith and coming back to it and finding a new and deeper experience, a number of them wanted to be rebaptized. Now, to get ahead of the story, how we resolved it was we had a publicly um, advertised a special time for renewal of baptismal vows, which seemed to help people. But what I learned from that was that baptism was important to them, and that symbol symbolizing of their commitment in a new way was important to them. And one of them <laughs> pulled up uh, a passage from Acts 19, which is also in the lectionary this week, where Paul rebaptized 12 disciples who said they had not received the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so they had some biblical warrant for asking for rebaptism. We as Presbyterians, uh, at least in my journey, we've not done that. But as I say, we had a very meaningful renewal of baptismal vows. And my closing comment will be it is whether or not this is why Jesus did it, it is a reminder that I need to repent 
And that's why I'm grateful in worship every time we have a prayer of confession. We need to acknowledge how we miss the mark, and we need, in a metaphorical sense, uh, a rebaptism of repentance every day. Uh, John, your thoughts on this? So um, for me, I think there's something special about um, this image of Jesus standing in line, potentially, with all the rest of the crowd uh, waiting to be baptized. Um, And not necessarily because he needed to. Uh, He didn't need forgiveness, didn't need to repent. um, But he stood with us as people. And and I think that speaks to what we're going to see as we move forward in his life and ministry, that Jesus is one who walks with us. Um, and so that's an element there for me of, of, uh, of Jesus being in kind of solidarity with, with humanity, with, with the human condition. Um, but I think there's also, you know, this is a choice that Jesus is making. And, and, and another way to think of repentance is turning um, and turning towards God. And I think there's an element here that's going on, too, where, um, where Jesus is um publicly um you know choosing this act of turning towards god of aligning his path aligning his direction for life and ministry which this is kind of the starting point right so aligning his direction with that of god's will um and so um and the beauty of all that is none of it required him to open his mouth at all right is to to do the act of of being baptized um and, and so that makes me think the kind of the takeaway pieces for me are where, um, how, how do I need to turn to God and align my life with that of God's will? Um, where in my life do I need to be silent and listen uh, for God's direction um, or for God's affirmation or for God's blessing? Uh, and the last piece that kind of came to me about reflecting on the scripture and this, and this question in particular is there's an act of obedience here, I think. Jesus is, this is the plan, right? And Jesus is being obedient um, and, and just following the plan. And it's not um, anything ornate. It's just following the plan, being baptized, and, and, and as we think what's coming, right? And so I, I think about, uh, again, a takeaway and a turn to self of like, okay, well, where do I need to be more intentional about following the plan of being following the simple instructions that God gives us that we see in scripture? You know, where do I need to just be obedient when it comes to loving my neighbor of observing the Sabbath? I mean, all these little things um, that are um, uh, quite simple, but quite hard to carry out. Um, Where do I need to look to be more obedient to God's call in my life? Um, and, and ultimately when we are obedient and doing those things, God is pleased with us. So I think for me, um, this, as I reflect on Jesus' baptism, while there's lots of debate and questions about the why, I think for me, the takeaways are where in my life do I need to look to align my direction more with that of God's will? Where do I need to be more obedient and loving and carrying out God's, um, love for the for for the world in my own actions and so um yeah thank you john as as i was listening to you i was thinking of the atmosphere in our nation and world today there's so much uh, attempt to dominate and to dismiss 
And this whole spirit of repentance is absolutely counter to that. And so at least in our corporate and individual lives, we can have a spirit of repentance. Hopefully, somehow that may spill over into society. Sarah, your thoughts on this? I wonder that this event presents us with an understanding of what happens when we are baptized into the family of God. I wonder if it's God's way of affirming us. God names and claims each one of us as part of him and a part of his purpose and his ken, which is kind of interesting. Um, it seems paradoxical to me that God defines who we are even as we move blindly sometimes in hope towards him in the act of baptism. Um, I'd be remiss if I didn't say wash, rinse, repeat at this point. Um, which I think is a wonderful way of, of helping us renew our own baptisms as we observe the baptisms of others. And something sweet, um, John Ryder, you might be able to speak to this. How many baptisms did we have in the month of December? And in January, I'm coming up, I mean, there was a, somebody mentioned an unreal number, like 40. Am I, am I remembering this correctly? Um, but that we had these opportunities to bear witness, to acknowledge our need, and, and to recognize that we might also be in that position where we, um, we need to witness God with us. And, and it's, it suits my purposes beautifully to move from Christmas into this moment, into this baptism, into this epiphany. Um, in, in the revealing of, um, of how God wants to be with us um, in this particular moment. So it's sweet to me in that regard. That's what I got. Uh, thank you, colleagues. Uh, one other comment I would offer. Um, I, I, I affirm the value of confession being a part of our worship and a part of our individual uh, faith journeys. Uh, and John, you reminded us that repentance really means to turn, to go a, a different direction. And uh, I sometimes as a pastor, people would say, well, that's too easy. We're just forgiven. And I would say to them, uh, Forgiveness is not condoning. If I haven't wronged somebody, if I haven't missed the mark, then I don't need to confess. But in fact, I have done that. And forgiveness is not condoning. It reminds us that God's grace empowers us to live lives congruent with our faith, which I think is what repentance is about. Not being perfect, but turning in a different direction. Now, um, before I close, let me see if either of my other colleagues has something else to add, uh, John or Sarah. If not, I would remind us that this podcast is sponsored by Palmasia Presbyterian Church, located at 35 
1401 San Jose Street, Tampa, Florida. <clears throat> Excuse me. The church's website is palmacia.org, P-A-L-M-A-C-E-I-A.org, where you will find many other resources for worship, study, service, and fellowship. Let me close with a word of prayer. Let us pray. Lord, our eternal God, as Jesus heard you speak a word of affirmation, so help us to hear you daily speak to us words of hope in a world in many ways frightening, words of assurance in our doubts and fears, and words that send us to serve as Jesus Christ has served and serves the whole of humanity and all of creation. May all our actions reflect the light and spirit of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. See you next week.